Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The book of Revelation speaks again of this revival that takes place in the nation of Israel in those last days. All of that to say, it can be confusing. You've got to know what's going on when you look at a prophetic message. When is this going to take place? What sign are you going to give? Jesus' response, again, didn't immediately give them any kind of a time frame. Both here in Luke as well as in Matthew, Jesus he warns the disciples, beware of false Christ. Look what he says in verse 8. And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived. Lord, when are you coming back again? Hey, be careful, don't be deceived. As believers, we should eagerly be awaiting Christ's return, but we need to be careful not to be deceived by false prophets. When he returns, there will be no room for doubt. Every eye will see and every knee will bow. As members of his flock, we will know our shepherd's voice. As Pastor David leads us through Luke 21, we can take hope in knowing that Jesus will return triumphantly and rescue his followers from the darkness of this world. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Darkness Loses. that in the world today. We see that happening all around us, and yes, sometimes even within our quaint small town of Casa Grande, we see the hearts of men going that way. We see down in verse 11, again, that it says that the earth, at that point in time with Noah, that the earth was filled with violence. We look at the world today and we think, man, we're pretty full of violence. Can you imagine it getting to this point here? In verse 12, it says, and indeed it was corrupt. The world was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. What a vile place it had to be. And I don't think you and I can even imagine it unless we were to go to a place like the Sudan and some of the other places in Africa where it's absolute wickedness and violence and, and anarchy and, and life means nothing unless you and I were able to go into some of the neighborhoods of our own country, some of the streets and the slums of our own country and see just the overwhelming darkness that's there. You wonder, how can these children even begin to have a chance of righteousness? Because darkness is so overwhelming. But even in the midst of so much darkness, in the midst of the impending judgment that God is going to bring on the earth here in Genesis 6, there was a light that was shining. In the midst of that total darkness, that total chaos that was going on, there was still hope. It's here that we see one man in verse 8. In verse 8, we read that that one man by the name of Noah, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
One version says Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why Noah? Why, why this one man amongst all the population of the earth? The, the, the book of Genesis tells us very clearly, very, very plainly in verse 9. It says, why? Because Noah was a just man. He was perfect in his generation. He walked with God. You see, in the midst of all that darkness, can you, can you imagine that being you, trying to stand for righteousness in the midst of, of all that darkness, of all that destruction, trying to be a man who, who believed and trusted God when all around you was a demonstration that there must not be a God, otherwise it wouldn't be this wicked. It wouldn't be this evil. But yet Noah trusted God. Noah believed God. And Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That phrase that says he was perfect in his generations, don't, don't misunderstand that. I'm sure, uh, I'm positive because Noah was a flesh. Noah had sin in his life too, but he was not overwhelmed by it. He was not controlled by it. As a matter of fact, one commentator, Adam Clark, declares that this perfect in his generations simply means that he was consistent in character in all things and in all ways, never departing from the truth in, pra- in principle or practice. So when you put that all together with the rest of the statement, we see that Noah was consistent in character in all things and in all ways, never departing from the truth in principle or practice because he was a man who walked with God and he dealt justly with the world around him regardless of how the world dealt with him. Beloved, that's where we need to be. That's where you and I need to be no matter how dark the darkness gets around us. No matter how wicked the wickedness gets around us, you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as representatives of Christ in this world, we need to be that kind of people. For Noah, the darkness that surrounded him was so dark, so dark that God determined to bring his absolute, total, and complete judgment upon the entire world and then begin his creation again, begin humanity again with Noah and his offspring. And it's here that we really first find in these early pages of Genesis, this is where we first find the fullness of the wrath of God being poured out worldwide among the godless and among the wicked of, of humanity at that point in time. And yet in the midst of his wrath, God provided a covering. God provided a protection against his wrath. He provided that protection for Noah and his family. As a matter of fact, God literally lifted Noah up out of the flood of his wrath until he had accomplished that complete judgment upon the whole world. And beloved, when it seems as though the world is overtaken by the evil one, when it seems that darkness is covering the entire face of the earth, you and I need to realize God's not finished yet. This this is not the last chapter. And this is not eternity. Sometimes it feels like it, but this is not eternity. And although it may seem that the victory is being awarded to the wicked and to the unrighteous, realize that the one true and the righteous judge shall have his way. Beloved, darkness loses. It's guaranteed. Throughout his word, the promise of judgment over the wicked is declared 
over and over again. I want to go through a couple of quick verses with you. I'll give them to you. If you're quick in your sword drills and get there, you can follow with me. Otherwise, write them down. Look at them later. The first one is in the book of Psalms, Psalm 96, verses 10, 11, and 12. The psalmist writes, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved, and he shall judge the peoples righteously. He says, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar all its fullness, let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the, of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Why? For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. It's a promise. Judgment is coming. Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah declares to us in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. Multitude of places we could look, but here's just a few. Isaiah 11, 4 writes, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Where do we see that again? The book of Revelation chapter 19, where it says that Jesus comes, the sword in his mouth, to slay the wicked, to slay the nations. Malachi, the, the last prophet of the Old Testament, declares to us in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, for behold, the day is coming. Beloved, you can count on that. The day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Beloved, his promises are true and they will come about. Our great God will come in judgment over the darkness and over the wickedness of this world. And for those who honor and reverence His name, for those that have come by faith to realize their great need for forgiveness of sin, for those that have surrendered their lives into His hands, for those who now have a great Savior who's provided this covering and this protection by His blood, just like Noah, I believe that we'll be lifted up and we'll be protected from the wrath of God when that wrath comes. That leads to the great question, though, doesn't it? So when's that going to happen? How long do we go through this? Well, that's the exact question the disciples asked back in, yeah, Luke 21, okay? <laughs> when, Lord, when shall these things be? And you know you're in trouble when most of the time is already gone and the guy just finishes his introduction, okay? <laughs> you know you're in trouble. But as I shared last time we were here, last week, spoke about this dialogue that Jesus is having. It, it, he's about to have it with his disciples, and it's given to us both here, uh, Luke 21, Matthew 24 and 25, and in Mark 13. And from 
you need to understand for, for the disciples, good Jews, men who had grown up from childhood as, as good Jews from their own study of the word, they understood that there was going to be a coming judgment. They had read the very same verses you and I just read as well as, as a multitude of others in the Old Testament that speak about the coming judgment of the wicked. They understood that there was going to be coming judgment. At least they understood it in part. They also understood that when Messiah comes, he was going to set all things in order. Well, at least they thought they understood it. They just didn't understand it in the fullness and the completeness of really what Jesus was all about and what all that he was going to do. They knew that there would be a time when the unrighteous would be punished and the righteous would be rewarded, but they just weren't sure of when that was all going to happen. So here in Luke 21, beginning in verse 7, we find actually an abbreviated version of their question. Luke 21, verse 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Well, I said an abbreviated version of the question because actually we see the, the, the full question uh, in, in Matthew's gospel record. But also from Mark we find out that it's a particular group of his disciples, four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, that they kind of pull Jesus away privately and ask him this question. And in Matthew chapter 24, we read the, the fullness of the question. Matthew 24 verse 3 says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, those four disciples that Mark tells us, privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, we can quickly, we can pretty clearly understand and see there's actually three questions that are going on here. Maybe for the disciples, they thought that it would all mesh together. Remember, he had just spoken about the temple and the destruction of the temple. Now they're also wondering, man, when are you coming again? When's the end of the age? They're thinking that, man, if the temple's going to be destroyed, that's got to be the end of the age. It's got to be all over if the temple is destroyed. Their first question, when will these things be? That dealt specifically with what he had spoke to them, and we looked at it last week, that there, that the beauty of that temple, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. All of it's going to be torn down. The disciples wanted to know, when will that be? The second question dealt specifically with the timing of his coming. How would they know? They says, what's going to be the sign of your coming? We want to be prepared, ready for it before you get here. Yeah, wouldn't we all? Yeah, yeah. Hey, give me a time and date and I'll straighten out my life and that'll at least give me 24 hours to confess everything and, and get my life squared around. The, the final question, the third question, uh, dealt with the end of all things. What's going to be the sign of the end of the age? Back here in Luke, we find the portion of his answer to the first question dealing with the destruction of the temple. But before we get into that answer, uh, it's here. I need to kind of help clarify some things in a very quick manner here. Some things that, again, you need to understand uh, the direction and the purpose of the prophetic message. And now you need to understand when you look at prophetic messages, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, in order to get the fullness of what that message is, there's always some things that you cannot simply read face value with prophecies. 
The prophecies are there, but you can't just read it and take it face value. There's some things that need to take place. Number one, you need to understand the circumstances that surround that pronouncement. Has there been vast wickedness in the country? The prophet comes and he speaks a word. Is there an attack from the enemy that's going to come? The prophet comes and he speaks a word of encouragement. Is there personal sin within a king or a leader's life? And the prophet comes. What are the circumstances that are surrounding? Are they in a captivity right now up in Babylon and the prophet comes and speaks to them? Or have they returned from captivity and now the prophet speaks to them? So again, understanding the circumstances of the prophecy. The second thing, who is the message given to? Is it given to the Jews? Is it given to the leadership? Is it given to uh, a, a wicked nation? Is it given to uh, who, uh, you, who is the prophecy given to? An individual, a nation, a nation in particular, or in a general way, the people of God. Beloved, understand that some of the prophecies of the Old Testament dealt only with Israel, not with the church, but only with Israel. You need to understand that. And then third, look at the time factor involved. The time factor, you need to realize too that some prophecies, man, they're gonna take place really quick. Hey, if you don't, if you don't straighten up, man, they're, they're out here right now, they're laying siege against you right now, and they will win. Hey, if you don't straighten up, you're not gonna rise up from this deathbed you're in. Hey, if, if, if things don't start happening in your life or in your society, it's going to crumble. It's going to cease to be. So again, what is the time factor? And one of the things that we know about prophecy, many times there is a twofold answer to prophecy. There is an immediate answer to the ones that are being spoken of, and then there is a later answer that is a much more fulfilled answer. It's like if we were to look at the mountains, if I look toward the west here, I see some mountains there, and that's the only mountains that I see. But the further I get closer to those mountains, suddenly I see that there's other mountains beyond that, and other mountains beyond that. And sometimes prophecy is that very way. We see an immediate response, but there's also a further response. So as we look into Jesus' response, let's remember a couple of things. Number one, what religion was Jesus taught in and grew up in? Judaism. So Jesus was what religion, church? A Jew. Nobody answered Christian, right? Okay, good. Because he wasn't a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. You need to understand that. And who was the audience that he was speaking to? A Jewish audience. Second thing we need to do is Luke here, in the writing of Luke, Luke actually writes to a Gentile audience. Because of this, much of what would affect the nation of the Jews is actually left out of his account, but we find it in Matthew's account. That's why we have the fullness of all the Word of God. What the, some of the differences that we find between Luke's writings and Matthew and Mark's writings deal specifically with issues that dealt with the Jews themselves. Thirdly, because Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, what Jesus tells the disciples in this prophetic message deals most directly with the Jews, with Jerusalem, with the temple, and the nation of Israel. Don't forget that as we get further and further into this prophetic message. I'll remind you as we go. And fourthly, although we find references throughout the Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, 
There is actually nothing in this prophetic message, Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, or Luke 21, nothing in any of those prophetic messages that deals directly and in reference to the church. This is a Jewish message to Jewish people. Don't get stumbled up on that. We're going to look at these a little bit later as we get into the study. Fifthly, as Jesus speaks directly about the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, there is actually what I spoke before. There is a twofold fulfillment. When was the temple destroyed? Well, it was destroyed back in 586 by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonians as they came down. Uh, it was destroyed then just shortly after Jesus speaks here, 40 years later, by the Romans as Titus comes in. But you know what? When Jesus is speaking of the temple being torn down, I believe that he's speaking of the one in 70 AD, but I believe he's also speaking of the one at the end of the age. Did you know that there's going to be another temple built? The problem is a lot of commentators and, and even a lot of preachers today, they, they don't believe that because they, they, they've been raised, they've been taught and trained from Bible study leaders and, and commentators and, and, and professors of the past who spoke and taught and trained people prior to 1948. You see, prior to 1948, there was no Israel. So a lot of the prophecies that we read in the Old Testament, and yes, even in the New, that deal with the Jews and with the temple and the events of Jews, they, they, they cut them off. They say, sorry, in 70 AD, the, the Jews were done with. There, there, there's no more issue with the Jews. And yet Paul tells us in Romans chapter 9 and on from there, hey, God's not finished with the Jews yet. And the inclusion of the nation of Israel and a rebuilding of the temple has to take place for all of the events in the book of Revelation to take place. But you see, those that were trained and taught from understandings and commentaries that were written prior to 1948, they thought that that's all allegory, or it's, it's already taken place. There's a group called Preterists, and they look at the book of Revelation, and they say, no, that's all done. It's all done. There's, there's nothing, that's not a future book, that's a past book. And so all that we read there are allegories and illustrations of stuff that's already gone on. There, there, there's a group among believers today that, that believe in what's called the replacement theology. Replacement theology is God is done with Israel and so now the church is the new Israel. No, you're not. You're the church. And you know what? Israel is still Israel. And the unfortunate thing is Israel is still lost. Israel still needs to come to Messiah. And you are going to see that happening again. The book of Revelation speaks again of this revival that takes place in the nation of Israel in those last days. All of that to say, it can be confusing. You've got to know what's going on when you look at a prophetic message. When is this going to take place? What sign are you going to give? Jesus' response, again, didn't immediately give them any kind of a time frame. Both here in Luke as well as in Matthew, Jesus he warns the disciples, beware of false Christ. Look what he says in verse 8. And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived. Lord, when are you coming back again? Hey, be careful, don't be deceived. What does he say? Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. 
It's absolutely amazing to me. It doesn't take a very deep study to go online and look for uh, uh, these primary uh, folks who have claimed to be Messiah through the centuries. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.